this last summer was uh, amazing for me, and uh, I had a great time just kind of resting and relaxing. But one of the things we do on a regular basis as a tradition, we take our kids to the beach, uh, and we go to we go uh, to the beach, and we like to enjoy the beach. And we think the beach is amazing. But how many of y'all know when you go out with your kids, um, it is not vacation for you; it's vacation for the kids. And all the parents said, "Amen." Amen. I'm on, that's it? That's all the parents I got in here? Come on, somebody. Like, you got Red Bull in you, and you love Jesus. Say amen. Yeah, yeah. Because you don't know this, kids. It's hard to be a parent. Can I be honest? It's hard to like you all the time. It's hard to keep you alive. It's hard to take you places when you be complaining about stuff we spent money on. Come on, somebody. If you're a parent in here and you love God, you better help me preach today. It's hard to be a parent. Everybody say it's hard. I took my kids to the beach this last summer. Might be the last time because they just... Part of it is, is is keeping them alive, right? When you're at the beach, just so you know, the beach is one gigantic... I want to kill your kids moment. Like, it's, they're all, it's all trying to kill our children. So we just, the goal of a parent is to keep them alive. That's what you want to do. You took them there alive. You want to leave there alive. That's the win as a parent. So I took out first day we go out, and I took my kids, and I said, hey, um, got the kids around. I do this, I do this huddle. I don't know if, you, if your kids are ever around me and we're doing something. I, before the event starts, y'all know I'm a leader. I can't help it. I'm in charge. I got to take control. And so I get the kids around. I said, listen. This is what we're going to do. Here's, what's, here's what we're not going to do. You're, gonna, you're not just going to do whatever you want. You're going to listen. And so I said, don't go down. If you get off the beach, look back, see the flag. You know, you give them markers. Here's the flag. Here's where dad's sitting. Here's the umbrella. Here's what I look like. Take a picture with your face. Uh, you know, pay attention because what's going to happen is you're going to get in the water and before you know it, you're going to be down the beach. So just you got to pay attention so I can be around if something bad goes wrong. You know, she goes, okay, Dad. So they all run out there and get in the water. And, and, um, and so I was looking at them. And the older ones weren't what I was worried about. It was the younger ones. You know, like it was the smaller ones. It was the ones that don't know, know better, you know. And so they're over there floating. And, and my, my, my eight-year-old, Judah, he's, he's um, well, he's just like me. And, uh, and, and. You know, he's anointed, you know, and just he's got a jawline that's strong and he's good looking. You know what I'm saying? Y'all like me. So, like, that's not a joke. Why are y'all laughing? So, anyway, but he's like me, so he don't listen. And so um, so he goes out and he starts floating. And my wife decided she was going to go back to the to the house. She goes, hey, I got to go back to the house and grab a couple things, and then can you just watch the kids? And when I'm used to being a parent together. Like, I'm a team. We're a team. And so I normally watch them sometimes, and she watches them sometimes, and that crosses over where there's probably, okay, let's be honest, 90% of the watching is her. I'm 10% of the watching. But so when 90% leaves, what happens? You would think my percentage goes up. It doesn't. Um, and so she left. I said, babe, I got it. No problem. They go out, and I lay on the the thing, because I'm trying to get some sun, so I look good for y'all. I want to be your pastor. got a tan. And, and so I'm up there. I'm just laying on the beach, and I close my eyes. If I feel like five seconds, I open my eyes, and I count. I don't, my kids don't have names anymore. They have numbers. One, two, three, four. And I got to, I couldn't find Judah. Judah wasn't there. And I was like, oh, no. So I'm looking around the beach, and 10 seconds go by, and you're a little nervous. Parents, y'all know what I'm talking about. Like, you get a little nervous. You're like, mm, oh, I got to find him. So I get up. Well, I don't even get up. <laughs> I kind of sit up, and I'm like, where's he at? I'm like, he's probably somewhere around here. I couldn't see him. So then I get up. 
up. 30 seconds go by. Before you know it, I start getting a little nervous. Yeah, because you start getting like, and you don't think nice things happen. You know, you think he's dead, floating in the water. You think somebody took him. You think terrible things. You know, and so I'm like, oh, I'm so I'm starting to freak out. But what really makes me nervous is my wife is not here, and if she comes back and one of her children are gone. I'm nervous what's going to happen to me. So I'm like, now I'm scared he's gone. I'm scared what's going to happen to me. There's fear in my heart. So I'm walking up and down the beach. Can't find him. Can't find him. I'm like, I don't know where he's at. He's lost. He's gone. So I'm running up and down the beach. I go, I'm telling you, so I go get my other kids. I'm like, you and you, you go that way. I just go into mode, right? Just like, we're going to find this. It's search and rescue. You're going to find him. You go that way. You go that way. You go that way. You go that way. So I start walking down the beach. Couldn't find him. Come back. I, I can see my wife coming down the steps towards us and I'm like this is it this is how it ends this is it was a good run Aaron and I look over and I'm telling you I see my little son Judah running with his boogie board he got a new boogie board he's running with his new boogie board and he's got the smile on his face and I go where were you you know you do the parent thing like don't you ever do that again you know and and I was like he's like um he's like dad found some friends and we were playing and but you know we were in the water he goes man I was floating and I didn't realize he's like I tried really hard but the current was so tough it made me move from where I know I should be with you and where I was and I just kept floating it was really strong and he said I couldn't I couldn't help it before I knew it he said before I knew it I couldn't see you anymore I wasn't where I knew I should be. And the funny thing about life and our culture is that it has a current. And it's real easy to just go on, do, go on about your business. And, and before you know it, you look up and you are not where you should be. And you are so far away from what God told us and should be. We're so far, we can't even see God anymore? Is any, am I talking to anybody in here where, where you, you woke up one day and you realized, who, who am I? Where am I? What is this? What's going on? How did I drift so far? And if you're not careful, this, cult, this culture, it'll get you. And, and, and the, the, the Jewish people had to deal with this in the book of Daniel. We're going to be in the book of Daniel chapter 1 today. If you don't know where that is, it's in the Old Testament. It's kind of the middle-ish part of the Old Testament. Daniel's a prophecy book. It's in page 737 in my Bible if you need help. And, and so you'll find it right there. But, like, it, it's an interesting book because half of the book is historical in nature, and the back half of the book is a prophecy in nature. It's Daniel's visions and how he sees things. And so the first half, though, is, is about a group of people who were exiled from their Jerusalem home in 587 B.C., was taken by Babylon, Babylon, put them in a foreign land, and they become what's called exiles, which are people who are no longer in their land, living in a foreign land, having to deal with foreign people and foreign gods and foreign kingdoms, and they're not of this world, but they're in this world. Does that sound familiar to anyone else? Because that's who you and I are if you're a Christian in here. That this is not our home. This is not where we're going to end up. This is not our kingdom. And we need to learn how to honor God in a culture, come on, that doesn't honor God. And when you look at this, you're going to find there's a few segments. They give you, everybody has a way of living in Babylon. And we're going to go through what I believe is the biblical way 
to thrive in Babylon. Daniel chapter 1, we'll get to that. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, if you don't have it, we'll put it up on the screen. It says, in the third year of the reign of somebody, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered that dude, king of Judah, in his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. And these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. You need to know, number one, we're going to do an old-fashioned Bible study. Number one, you need to understand this, that Babylon has a message. Babylon has a message. When you read the Bible, a lot of times chapters 1, verse 1, you don't really pay attention. It's like reading a book and you like the preface and the acknowledgments. And you're like, this isn't important. You know what I mean? Which, by the way, if the, if the author put it in the book, I think it's important. I think it's important, but it, a lot of us think of it like that. So we're like, well, this is the, this is just, this is just fluff in the beginning before we really get to the story. But this is really a big part of the story because it tells you the, the message of Babylon, which is simply this, that your God is not enough. When you live in Babylon, the constant message the Babylon, the Babylonian people, the Babylonian culture will tell you is that your God is not enough. And you and I hear that and feel that every day in this world. And they tell you through social media, they tell you through commercials, they tell you through life, they tell you through movies, they tell you through music, your God is not enough. If he was enough, then we wouldn't be in charge. Like, we in charge. This used to be the United States of America that was built on the foundation and the principles of God, but he ain't anymore. You ever notice? Like, we, there was a time, I don't know if y'all know this, there was a time when you sent your kids to school and it was safe and celebrated to pray. We don't live in that world no more. And so Babylon tells you, because you don't live in that world no more, they say, see, your God ain't even saving you. I thought he was your protector. I thought he was your provider. I guess not. Guess not. Because not only did we win, we besieged you. The Bible says that they besieged Jerusalem, that they they, they took them from their land. They stole their way of life. And then they took their best and brightest and brought them into Babylon and started training them. And not only that, they kind of added insult to injury. The Bible says they took, like, articles from their temple and they put it in their temple of their god Marduk. I mean, isn't that the ultimate way to say our god's better than your god? Isn't it? Like, we win. It's like, it's like you, you, your God was supposed to win, and he didn't win. And when you believe, listen, 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 this is important. If you live in Babylon, which we live in Babylon, and you start to believe that message, what you start to do is you start to put your hands to things that your hands should not be on. Because if God was really in control, then you don't put your hand in the pot. Like, I want to ask you a question. What if you really believe God was in control? Like, I know we say that. Like, well, God's in control. God's got his, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got, come on, y'all, the whole wide world in his hands. He's got the whole world. Come on, if you don't sing, you can sing. He's got the whole world in his hands. And you don't believe it. Not really. He's got part of the world in his hands, somebody else's world in his hands. Anytime something bad happens to me, I'm like, well, you care about them. What about me? You got that world in your hands. My world seems to be in my hands. 
And I start to listen and hear the message of Babylon like, yeah, God ain't in control. Their God's in control. The other day, it was lunchtime. And honestly, at my house, it's always lunchtime. They eat every day, all day long. And um, we have like a, I'm buying stock in Costco. I'm telling, I'm going to own Costco one day. I'm just telling you right now, I spent so much money there. If you want to find your pastor, just go to Costco randomly. That's where I live. And uh, he, they were going to eat lunch. And they said, my son goes, I came home and I had went to Taco Bell to bring him lunch. And I show up, my son had made a sandwich. And it was like burnt. had like jelly and chips on it. And, and it, was, it, was, it was odd. It was an odd sandwich. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he was one of my younger sons. I won't tell you the name. But he was like, uh, and I go, what are, you do, what are you doing? And he goes, well, I was making lunch. I didn't think you were going to feed us. You ever just want to pillow fight your kid and him don't have no pillow? I said, what makes you think that you weren't going to eat? He goes, well, you weren't here. You weren't going to eat. I thought you were just, you know, so I thought I, had, I was on my own. I said, I said, so <laughs> grab the Taco Bell bag. And I just said, this is what you were going to get. Now, I know y'all judging me for Taco Bell. Stop. Okay. Y'all eat. Whatever you want to do every once in a while, you know what I'm saying? My kids like Taco Bell, so, you know, you judge me, that's fine, I judge you. So anyway, he, I showed him Taco Bell, and, and I said, well, I was going to buy you Taco Bell. This is, this is what you were supposed to eat, but go ahead. That jelly sandwich looks terrible. <laughs> he said, oh, I thought. I said, well, you thought I wasn't going to provide for you, but you didn't know I had something better than what you had actually put your hand to. And you, because you put your hand to it, why do I even give you? already made some, so you go ahead and make, make. You see what I'm saying? Like, I think sometimes God, you, we think God's not working. Like, we think God don't see. So we put our hands to things that we shouldn't have our hands in, and we wind up getting less than what our potential should be. And so I just wonder, what message are you believing? The kingdom message is not God is enough. It's not that. It's actually God is more than enough. So Babylon's message, God's not enough. The kingdom message is God is not just enough. He's more than enough. I like that Jesus said, he says, I came to give you life. And to the, he didn't stop there. He said, I just came to give you some life, you know, just make it. Hopefully you make it in life. You just hang on till glory comes and you're going to be all right. No, no. Jesus says, I came to give you life and to the full, full, like full, uh, full. The Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic is full. Full, like to the top, overflowing, that he's, he's more than enough. I love what David says in Psalm 23. This is my favorite translation of the Bible. I and mean, it's like the most famous scripture, maybe. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I like this. He goes, some says, I shall not want. This, this is a better translation. I lack nothing. No, no, God, I lack nothing. You are more than enough. If you gave, is there anybody in here who loves God and recognizes enough that if he gave us nothing else, it was all worth it, God. God, if you gave me nothing else, if you didn't bless my business, if you didn't give me any more kids, if you didn't help me in my marriage, if you didn't help me with my health, if you didn't give me any more finances, God, you were enough for me. Because when you're enough, it's the kingdom message. You're more than enough. 
You ain't, you ain't lost. You ain't confused. You're not wondering what's going on. You have provided everything that I need. And then it gets worse, Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. Y'all ready? We only did two verses. We might be here a while. Then the king ordered uh, some dude named some chief of his court officials to bring, don't judge me, those are hard names, to bring into the king's service from some of the Israelites of the royal family of nobility. So he says, let's go get the best and the brightest. Young man without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. That's powerful. He says, this is what we're going to do with him. We'll teach them the language. So not only we have a message, we're going to teach them how to talk. We'll teach them what to say. Babylon has a language. The language of Babylon is arrogance and self-glorification. If you go back and look historically at Babylon, it's the most, one of the most prideful kingdoms that had ever lived. I mean, they were, they were about raising their own banner, raising their own flag. They were about, we are the man. They, had, they were like, we got the most likes. You don't even know about us. We coming. Like, you don't understand. We are the number one. Like, they were, they were, they were like, we, 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 we win. You lose all the time. Pride, the root of all of it. Self-seeking self-exaltation, self-sufficient, and it's pride, and it's nasty, and God hates it, and, 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 and we do it. Christians are maybe the worst. If you're not a Christian in here, I ain't even talking to you. You off the hook. It's amazing to me how easy we, we, me, me, you, you, we, 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 we get caught up in like the self-glorification of everything that we are and what we do. And what's so funny is, is which real, we're real good at it. We slight, we put this little thing, we put the pride out and then we wrap it in a Bible verse. We wrap it in Jesus. We put it all like a little thing. We try to like cover it up. But I've just noticed if you, um, if you put lipstick on a pig, it's still a pig. And you could cover it up in all you want. But it is what it is. And, and, and the, the language of Babylon is, I'm good. Look at me. Jesus had this moment with the devil. Which, by the way, this is free. This isn't even in my notes. The enemy has only one, has three weapons. Three. That's it. Ever since the beginning of time. Starting in the garden. He just only had three. But because he can't create. He's not a creator. He's a manipulator. He's a defiler. He's an abuser. He takes what God's creation is and he makes it worse. He can't create. He's not a creator. He's not. And he has this moment with Jesus. You can go back and look Luke chapter 4 where he tempts Jesus. He tempts him with three weapons. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eye. The pride of life. And the third one, he does this in Luke chapter 4. You read it. It says, then the devil... He, 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 he took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. Notice he didn't take him to some obscure place where nobody saw nobody. He said, let's put you in the middle where everybody sees you. And let's take you to the very top where you can be saw and everybody can see how great you are. And he says, go ahead and jump because the Bible says this. And you know, by the way, the devil knows the Bible. He knows the Bible most, better than most Christians. And so he, 
He uses the Bible with Jesus. He said, jump off. Show off. You, Jesus, show off. Show them how great you are. Show them how amazing you are. Glorify yourself. Make yourself famous. God ain't going to do it for you. You, you bought in the Babylon message. You, it ain't, God ain't enough. You got to put your hand to it. You make yourself great. Jesus says, that ain't, that ain't the way our kingdom runs. The kingdom language is humility. And not self-glorification. It's God-glorification. Everything about the kingdom is making God's name great. And so what you got to ask yourself is, are your actions, is your life glorifying to God, really? Like, do you glorify God with your kids? I've noticed that being a parent is hard. And because it's hard, I would rather glorify myself with my kids than God with my kids because it's easier for me to sit on the couch or get lost in my work or go do a hobby than it is to train children. But that doesn't glorify God. That glorifies me. I got to glorify God by getting up and teaching them how to take out the trash and talk to your mama all right. They don't need stuff. They need me. And when they get me, they, I glorify God. I, it's hard to glorify God with my marriage. It's hard to glorify God with my finances. Hello? It's hard to glorify God when I come to church. If I'm not careful, I make it about me. You should go look at your social media. Go to your page. And see how many times you see your face. Oh, I'm talking about God. See how many times you see your face. Oh, I'm telling everybody about Jesus. See how many times you see your face. If I see your face again, unfollow. I'm just saying. Because it's the Babylonian message. You make yourself great. And it gets worse. This was supposed to be an encouraging message. <laughs> Daniel chapter 1, verse 5. Then the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. Some of y'all are like, well, at least he got some wine. But like, Babylon has a diet. So it's got a message, it's got a language, it's got a diet. And the Babylonian diet is this. Anything goes. No limits. No boundaries. If you feel good to eat it, then you maybe should do it. They ate and drank everything. It's all good. This culture was used to, you know what it was? It was used to doing everything, eating everything, consuming everything. And then when everything went wrong, going to God. We're talking about Babylon. We make God the, uh, the bus boy and not the chef. You eat, and then he comes and cleans up after you. They're really good. They're really good at um, crossing the line. I, let's go back to the beach. I was just there, so I got a lot of stories about the beach. 
My little son, Winston, he's cinco, which is five, Spanish. So he, uh, he walks out, and uh, we're holding his hand, and he thinks he can swim. He can't swim. He thinks he can swim because I put floaties on him. So he thinks he can swim because I put floaties on him. But let's be honest. By definition, can he swim? No, he can't swim. So he, he walks out with me. And I said, listen, son, here's the deal. You can walk out to here. You can play all the way out to here. I mean, he was kind of at his chest. I'm like, look how much fun you can have. And I said, look where you're at. Do not cross this line. Don't go out there. He goes, but look at all the people. He goes, Dad. I said, that's great. You don't belong out there. You belong right here. I said, now turn around, son. He turned around. I said, look at all you can have. Look at everywhere you can go. I don't care if you run up and down a beach. Mom ain't even here anymore, so just go ahead. Just roll over up and down. I said, just go ahead. Go ahead. I said, but don't cross that line. I said, do you understand? Yes, sir. Okay. Give him a kiss. turn around. I look back over. The moment I turned around, he was running towards the, the, the water, the deep, just running, running. He, was, he couldn't get fast enough to the deep. And so look, because I'm a good dad, I just watched. <laughs> go ahead. Go on, go on, get it. Go ahead. Do it. Do it expeditiously. Have fun. See ya. He gets out, and he's going, he's getting, he's getting out, and he's getting, and he was good for a bit. He was getting to the area where he can pile, he can bob a little bit, you know, he bloop, bloop. And then he got hit by a wave, and he goes, he got hit by another wave, and I just sat there and watched him. He kept floating, he kept floating, he kept floating, he gets out far enough. Finally turns around, he sees me, and he goes, Dad, help me. I said, you all right? I can't hear you. Help. I said, all right. So I, I went out and got him. Grabbed him by the life jackets. Brought him back. I said, We don't go out there. There's a lot of people out there, and they look like they're having a whole lot of fun, but they're not. They're drowning. And I think sometimes God says, here's the line. We don't, we don't eat that. Kingdom diet, you know what kingdom diet is? Kingdom diet is... Uh, is a series of pre-decisions. I pre-decide what I allow in my life. I have set a standard. Kingdom diet is, I actually, did you know this? They were kosher. So they couldn't eat everything that the king ate. Like Daniel, by his very nature, they have the thing called the Daniel fast. I don't know if you've ever heard that. It's basically vegan-ish. And there's some things they did not eat. They did not eat that stuff. He did not cross that line. He did not move into that territory. He did not do. There was a line, and he didn't cross it. And I think sometimes we think, we see something. We see people, and we're like, 
that looks so good. And all those people are looking back at us, begging God for help. You just can't hear them. Because they look so great on social media when they posted about that new car that just put them 50 grand in debt. But they live in their hashtag blessed life. So what you want to do is you want to cross the line because you didn't pre-decide. You want to go eat at the king's table. Most important decisions in your life are pre-decisions. They're, they're, they're decisions that you make before you make a decision. Which, by the way, is incredibly biblical. Uh, see the Ten Commandments. Did you know that? That's what the Ten Commandments were. People are like, those are rules. God's not fun. No. He would prefer you not to drown. I know you want to drown because it looks great out there. But he would prefer you not to drown. You're not, that's not what we do. We don't go there. We don't do that. And so you don't have to pray and ask God whether or not you should murder someone. So God was saying, it's pre-decide. So when the situation comes, there's no decision to make. We don't do that. We are not that. So I'm just saying, some things in your life, you've got to make some pre-decisions about if you make a predecision, if you don't make a predecision, you tend to make a bad decision. Have you ever noticed that? So, there's some things in your like giving to the church. By the way, financially giving to the church is a predecision. You realize that, right? It's why we never like um, I don't, the history of our church. I've never asked people for money. We've never come up here and be like, "Please give." I'm begging you to give. You know what we do? We say, "Ask God what you should give, and then give it to Him." You do what He says. If he tells you not to give, then don't do it. But if he tells you to give, I'd listen. If I were you. But like tithing, tithing is an interesting thing. Did you know that's a pre-decide? I've never met anybody who like spontaneously started to tithe. They had to think about it, make a decision in their heart, and understand like I'm giving to God, and I'm not actually giving to God. I'm actually returning to God what's his. We don't give to God. We return to God because everything we have has been given to us by God. So I'm going to return back to him what is his, and I'm going to pre-decide. So here's the problem. I won't make that decision based on how I feel. It's a predecision. How about coming to church today? Let's just have some fun. Did anybody this morning wake up and have the feeling right away? You're like, it's first you wake up and you realize it's Sunday. No, it's Sunday. And you're like, oh, it's church day. I don't know if I really want to go to church. Did anybody else do that but the pastor of this church? <laughs> Raise your hand and say, okay, we got one, we got two, we got three. Come on, somebody. Come on, act like, don't be lying in church. Jesus is watching. Three, four, five, six, seven. The rest of y'all forgot or you're not telling the truth. You're not, n- n- most of the things that God tells us and wants us to do and on, you have to predecide. Like I'm asking you to, I'm teaching you how to be a Christian, how to thrive in Babylon. You want to thrive in Babylon, not just survive and make it by the hair of your chinny chin chin? Like you need to predecide. I'm a Christian whether or not I like it or not. I give to God not because he gives back to me, because sometimes when I gave to God, it got worse. But I've already predecided. I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus and the Bible. You have to predecide some things. Like, I pre- I'll give you, like, the predecide. I don't go anywhere by myself with the opposite sex. I predecide that I don't go to those websites. I predecide that I don't watch TV after a certain amount of time because my grandmama said, ain't nothing out that late but the devil. Like, you got to predecide. 
right? Who are you going to be as a husband? Who are you going to be as a father? Who are you going to be as a wife? And then he gets into Daniel chapter 1, verse 6, verse 7. He says, among those who were chosen, some of the Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Those are some cool names. My name's just Aaron. You ever think like that? That's how I think. The chief official gave them new names. Daniel gave the name Belshazzar and to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Y'all like, I think I thought they were different names. Yeah, they were. And Babylon has an identity, and their identity is rooted in false gods. They changed their name because they wanted to rob them, rob them of their divine identity in the god they came from. So let's just, let me, I'll just... I'll show you. Belshazzar meant Bel protects his life. That's the Babylonian god. Shadrach meant command of a coup, which was a moon god in Babylon. Meshach, which is who is a coup. That, that meant who is a coup. And Abednego meant servant of Nabu, which was another god in their thing. So they literally robbed them of their divine identity, gave them an identity of a false god. And just so you know, we do that too. We root ourselves in things that don't last. Put false gods all up in our life. Like talking about, I love Jesus, but telling you i can't miss the game sunday morning football's coming football's coming I mean, i'm just telling you I, mean, I love jesus but i gotta make that money make that paper hey i'm trying to make that money I, mean, I love jesus but man i'm telling you can't give up my favorite show i mean i know it's got nothing but nastiness on up and that's just, na just nasty just yeah but i gotta watch this because i love but i love jesus i listen to music i listen to christian music I, 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 my goal today was to make everybody mad. <laughs> I guess. But like, what's your identity in? Babylon's trying to rename you. Make you something you ain't. Make you about something you ain't about. They say, yeah, 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 I know God's not enough for you. So like, let's, let's make you something, let's make you something different. Let's make your name different. And the kingdom identity, all of our kingdom names are rooted in in the true divine God. Daniel's name meant God is my judge. Well, it was like the judges of Israel, and they were designed, their whole job in the judges of Israel wasn't like now. It was designed to protect and like deliver the people. They were protectors. Hananiah's name meant, uh, in Hebrew, was the Lord shows grace. Mishael is who is like God. Azariah was the Lord helps. The suffixes of Daniel and Mishael's name was El, which was part of Elohim, which was the God of Israel. Azariah and Hananiah carried the suffix of Ayah or Yah, which was the Yah, which was short for Yahweh, which was the covenant name of God for the children of Israel. You're talking about God was literally in your name. And when God is literally a part of your life and in your name and in your identity, you take on the divine attributes and blessings of God's identity. When you become a child of God, you become redeemed. When you become a child of God, you become forgiven. When you become a child of God, you have righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When you become a child of God, you're an overcomer. When you become a child of God, you're justified. You're loved. You're free. You're protected. You're more than a conqueror. You're the head and you're not the tail. You're seated with Christ. You're loved. You're a new creation. I'm not done. You're a child of God. You're heirs of God. You have so much identity and blessing rooted in who you are. You don't take on the names of false gods just because Babylon said so. So the question you got to ask yourself, that was on my intro. I didn't even get to the answer in the question. How do you honor God? God in a culture that doesn't honor God. 
closing with this. It says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Verse 8, with royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. And I thought it was interesting. He says in verse 9, and now God caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. The word resolve there is to be set or established. Resolve meant he had convictions. Did you know that Daniel resolved to keep his language? Daniel resolved to keep his diet. Daniel resolved to keep his identity. You actually see Daniel use the language of the kingdom. He says, God's in control. Go back and read it. the rest of the, uh, the book of Daniel. You'll see he says, God's in control. That's the language of the, of the kingdom. His diet, he never ate their food. In fact, he had a test. You'll see it. We're going we're gonna to talk about it. Where he ate their food and he actually performed better than the people who did. His identity, he was always called Daniel. You even see later in the book of Daniel, you see that a queen shows up and calls him Daniel. He doesn't call him Belshazzar. He doesn't call him by his Babylonian name. He calls him by his Hebrew name. It's like, didn't take. I kind of want to be that guy who lives in Babylon. And they're like, man, we really tried hard with that dude, but he really does love God. I mean, he ain't perfect. He makes mistakes. But man, that guy just loves God. How do you resolve in our world? I'm going to answer that question. Here's the answer to the question. If you checked out, check back in. Wake the person up next to you. Jeremiah chapter 29. The, the book of Jeremiah is about a prophet named Jeremiah. He was a prophet for the children of Israel, for those who are Hebrews and Jewish people inside of the kingdom. And he, he says, he puts this prophecy out. This is his letter to those who were exiled by Babylon. Now, we this is one of the most famous scriptures in all the Bible. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. You probably heard it. It's probably on a bumper sticker. It's maybe in your room somewhere. You probably reposted it and said, I'm a Christian. Look at this. Um, but it says, you know, I, for I know the plans I have for you, the plans to prosper. Now, we use that as a prescriptive thing for Christians everywhere. You know, like God has a plan for you. And I believe that to be true. But it wasn't, that's not the context of the scripture. Can we talk about the Bible for a minute? That was a descriptive time for a prescription from a prophet for certain people. And he was talking to people who were in exile. This is so good. Please listen. He said, this is how you handle and thrive in Babylon. This is his answer. And it might make, it's going to make both sides of the argument mad. <laughs> this is from God, though, so you should write at God at God.com if you get mad. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 5. Before he gets into that promise, he says, build homes. Here's what you do when you're in Babylon. Here's how you thrive. Build homes and plan to stay. What? They just took us from our land. We're having to eat this weird food and serve these weird gods. Like, this is weird. Why would you have a stay? We're supposed to fight. This is marry and have children. Now I got to bring kids into this? That's too hard, God. That's enough, right? No. And then work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Now I gotta try to help them. And he goes, Yeah, it gets worse. Then you need to pray for him. He said, Pray for him because it's their welfare will determine your welfare. It's a message to all the picketers out there. But then he doesn't stop. He says this. So I, I made some of you mad. I get to make the rest of you mad here. It's really good. And then he says, do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. 
the way of the exile, here's how you thrive in Babylon. Here's how you honor God in a godless culture. The way you thrive in Babylon is the way of the exile. It's one of loyalty and subversion. It's one of saying, yes, I'm honoring the people and the leaders, and I'm going to pray for the president, whoever's in there, no matter what, even if I believe and if I voted for him or if I didn't, and I'm going to actually go through that and really actually honor the people that are actually in my Babylon world right now. They're the leaders, and I know I don't agree with them, but I'm going to, I'm going to honor them. I'm going to do the best I can to be me because what they do doesn't control what I do. At the same time, there are lines I do not cross. Sorry. I don't cross that. You want me to worship your God? Ain't going to happen. And you're like, it sounds like it's a little gray. Welcome to the kingdom of God. It takes no faith. It takes no faith to pick it. It takes no faith to pair it. I'm not saying you need to fight everybody, and I'm not saying you need to be like everybody. It's not, let's be Babylon. It's not fight Babylon. It's God saying, live in Babylon and see if God doesn't show up on your behalf. And you're going to find in the story of Daniel, what happens when they honor and are loyal, and when they stand and don't cross the line. It's complicated. That's what I should have named this series. It's complicated. Because you're going to have to actually think. And not regurgitate something you saw on your favorite news channel. From the echo chamber that social media has created for you. You're going to have to actually think as a Christian in Babylon. What does it mean for me to follow Jesus? And I'm going to do that. Loyalty, subversion. And we're going to talk about why that's important. Because you'll see Jesus come in and do it. Did you know Jesus honored the culture that he was in? He could have came in and blew it up. They asked him stuff all the time about money and giving. He was like, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Honor the culture. Be loyal. And they said, but all right, but you know, like maybe we should follow that God. No, no, no. There's only one true God. (laughs) It's a lot easier to be mean. easier to kick people out of the kingdom than it is to open it up. My hope is that you not only survive in Babylon, that you thrive. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God. Today is a good day because we learned about your word. We learned about your kingdom. We learned about what we do, what kind of kingdom is in this world, and what kind of kingdom you are about. I want to be about your kingdom, Lord. I want to be about what you're about. I want to honor you and all that I do. And I pray that today, Lord, you would give us the strength to be both loyal and subversive that we would have the wisdom to know what to do and the courage to do it. God, thank you for giving us clear direction in your word from your prophet. And I pray that we would see you clearly today.